Hello, church family. Good to be with you today through the video. Uh, we didn't get to do one last week, but we want to pick it back up this week. And with summer coming and just busyness in the life of the church, hopefully we can keep doing this pretty regularly, but there might be some times when we don't get to do it. Same with the podcast a little bit. Uh, but we'll do our best to, to do these things because I know some of you uh, enjoy watching these videos and diving in just a little deeper uh, with the passage. This week we were in Ephesians chapter 3. And we did verses 1 through 13, a little bit bigger section than what we have, what we have been doing, uh, where Paul continues to talk about uh, the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed. And that mystery is that God has brought together Jew and Gentile, bringing together all people in Christ, through Christ, that there's a unity there. Uh, and there's just a lot of uh, differences now uh, from how it was not too long before that, especially even in Paul's life. And we talked about that with Paul. But when looking at this passage, uh, we broke it down really into three different questions. The first question being, what is God doing? The second one is, how is God doing this? And then the third one is, what are the ramifications of this? So like, if all of this is true, if this is really happening, then what are the ramifications here? So with the first question, what is God doing? We really found it in verses 1 through 6 of what Paul talks about. And it's that he is revealing himself to a broken, a broken world. And the way that I, I kind of framed this and talked about this, um, I might have seen this in one of the commentaries, talk about it briefly, but uh, how history, we look at history and we do often see it in two separate ways oftentimes. We're taught it in two separate ways, especially if we're church-going people. At least I know I was. I was taught history at school in one aspect, but then I would come to church and I was taught history in a different way, like Adam and Eve, and that was the beginning, and uh, how that all played out. And the Bible seemed to focus on, you know, on Israel and all this. But then in, in in school, I never really heard about that, and so there was always like these two different histories in my mind. And I I remember even growing up, it was always really cool when I would see those two histories combine a little bit. Like I would learn something, like uh, I can't remember right now, like Alexander the Great mm-hmm. was alive. In biblical times, and this stuff was happening. It's like, oh gosh, that's crazy. Like I learned about him, and I didn't under, I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, the reality of it is, when it comes to history, the Bible has a lot to say and plays a big, important role. And what we see Scripture talks about is a very, very important, important role. And the way that I talked about it was saying that what the Bible does is it shows us that what history really is all about—the past, the present, and even the future is about God doing just this, what Paul's talking about, revealing himself to a broken people. And so I went back a little bit, you know, to Genesis and looked at the brokenness and how we became alienated from God, how Adam was alienated from God because his nakedness and his sin. And then Adam quickly got alienated himself from his wife, from his spouse. She alienates herself from the serpent and from everything. And so they're all just kind of alienated. Everybody's alienated from each other. And there's a problem. There's all of a sudden this big issue within the world. And so as, as history has played out, we see this problem continuing to play out. We see this brokenness and this alienation continue to even grow, it seems, and, and get worse and worse. Um, but here, what Paul is talking about is saying what God is doing is God is solving this problem in history with the man, the God-man, Jesus, with Jesus. He has solved this problem through through Christ Jesus, to where in verse 6, he says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, 
and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, for the past few weeks, and Spencer even preached on it, uh, Paul's really been focusing on the Jew-Gentile being, being brought together. Is there anything more that we need to say or that you would want to hit on, especially in light of this? Because he does bring up three things here, which he fleshes it out a little more later in Ephesians. So that's why I didn't stay on it too long. But how he said, he says three things about it. We are fellow heirs. We're members of the same body and we're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through, through the gospel. Is there anything you guys maybe would want to hit on when it comes to those, maybe those three areas or thinking about God bringing together Jew, Gentile, all nations together. I mean, I just think that <clears throat> it's just a good reminder that that would have been a really big shocker yeah. to uh, the Jewish people. Um, they prob they had a way for if you were a, um, mm-hmm. a Gentile, you could. There was a way, a process whereby you could become part of Israel, um, and but you became a Jew. And that was the amazing thing about uh, the coming of Christ and the tearing down of the wall of separation is no longer do Gentiles, in order to become part of the people of God, need to become Jews. It's that both Jews and Gentiles need to be in Christ. Right. And uh, that was the, the, the fullness now being revealed is, is that, that Gentiles don't need to stop being Gentiles in order to become believers in Jesus Christ. They, they need to be in Christ, and actually the Jews do as well. So, I mean, I just think that it's important as we read that to realize how shocking that was, um, that for 2,000 years, from Abraham till Christ, you had this, this standard way of dividing humanity, the Jews and everybody else. And now there's this, the early, the early Christians almost, re, they regarded themselves really as a third race, you have the Jews, you have the Gentiles, but now you have those who are in Christ. And that's where Paul kind of has that, where he describes those groups where he says um, that he doesn't want to become offensive to the Jews or to the Gentiles or to the church of God. Something like that, I think he says in one of the Corinthians letters. So it's just a, a wonderful new thing God's doing in Jesus Christ is uh, bringing us all all together. Mm-hmm. Anything? Mm-hmm. No, that was good. <clears throat> I think sometimes I think we've said this in the videos, but it's hard for us to grasp how big of a deal it was. We're so far removed mm-hmm. uh, from it, and it's not necessarily something that we experience too much of of today. You know, where I'm separated from that, I'm not allowed because I'm not Jewish or whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. But yeah, how big of a deal it is, and you do still see it creep up of that. We have to be conscious as Christians who live in America that this faith isn't just for people like us, you know, or who, and you, and you might see that from some of the old missionary things. You know, I think about how missionaries would go to Africa and then they'd tell the pastor there, you know, you got to wear a suit if you're going to be preaching, preaching this Bible. And, and you just, you try to add things on or try to make them into be like, be like you. And that's, that's just not how it is. I mean, Christ died for, for all. Mm-hmm. And we have this word and in Christ, we're united, not through these other things. Yeah, and that's what Paul continues going. On. So then, the, que- the next question was, how is he doing this? And and I didn't, I don't want to form that into how is he, how is he revealing himself to a broken world? Because we've already answered that. He's done that through, through Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's the only way. But now the question really is, how is how is the word getting out? I guess it may, would have been a better way to 
to uh, to say that. And Paul says, really, he, he mentions two things. First is the apostles, through the apostles, and who he calls himself the least, the least mm-hmm. of the apostles. But he says it's through the apostles. Now, I wanted to make it a point in the message, and I think this is important for us to know, too, that this uh, office of apostle is not one that we can claim. I don't know if you guys want to want to speak to that at all because you do see that today. You still you still see people, mm-hmm. right, who will claim mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I think some problems come from that because oftentimes when people claim claim to be an apostle, they also claim <clears throat> to have revelation. They claim to be able to receive new revelation, which Paul's talking about here as an right. apostle. He was given a revelation, right, with the whole mm-hmm. Jew Gentile thing. Um, and so we need to be careful with that. I think you guys would agree. I don't know if you want to yep. speak to that at all. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's why I think we would say that the, of, the office of apostle does not exist today because, I mean, God is not revealing new revelation in that sense today in terms of it being authoritative. And I think that's what I've personally never met anybody that would claim the office of apostle, but I think that's that's what's being claimed is because like you see even in Acts, like the early church was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Mm-hmm. And that is the teaching that was being taught and and places in the New Testament letters where the teaching was being uh twisted from what the apostles were teaching, that's what they were being called back to, is back to the original teaching that you received from the authoritative apostles. And churches were criticized for listening to false apostles. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of where do we get our authoritative teaching from, it's from the apostles of Christ that he called himself, um, that he knew and that taught. And so, so, yeah, I mean, when people claim to be apostles, I think what they're really claiming is a position of authority where you, mm-hmm. where you have to listen to what I am saying because I'm an apostle. Who are you to question the teaching of an apostle, right? And, uh, and if you get people, that's pretty dangerous. Right. People that would look to an authority outside of what mm-hmm. we already have. And so, yeah, we wouldn't agree with that. Because Paul had already talked about in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, built, um, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Mm-hmm. And so he has this picture of this building with Jesus being the cornerstone, right? The the main thing that brings everything together. But then how the the apostles and prophets are laying this foundation. And so if that's true, it's not a foundation that needs to be rebuilt, rebuilt right? right? right. And, and so we're not adding to this foundation uh, in this analogy that Paul is using. And we do have to be careful of that because there are people today who do that. And we have to recognize mm-hmm. that and recognize that as the as untruth mm-hmm. you know that that it is and be willing to call it out when we when we see that um, but Paul here is saying he was given a task as an apostle uh, a very specific task and it was a task to go to the Gentiles and he he even says you know of which I'm in prison now I, I'm there now because of this task that was that was given to me and Paul was willing to fulfill that task he was willing to do that task. But in the, midst, <clears throat> in the midst of that task, he continues to marvel in the grace of God that God would call him to, to such a task. And we continually go back to Paul's history because it's important to understand that, Sir- I mean, I can't remember the date of when Ephesians was written and maybe the date mm-hmm. of when they say Paul was converted, but it wasn't many years removed. I, I don't know, 20 maybe at the most, something like that, if that. 
to where to be with a Gentile for Paul mm-hmm. would have been just mm-hmm. ridiculous to think about. And now he's going around telling everybody we are the same in Christ. Right. <laughs> what, a, right. what a crazy thing. And Paul, Paul doesn't call it grace. He calls it grace. He says mm-hmm. this is a grace of God that would allow me the privilege to be able mm-hmm. to be a part of this ministry mm-hmm. and this work. Really a neat thing to see, mm-hmm. I think, Paul speaking this way. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I mean, I think uh, he describes it as the unsearchable riches <clears throat> of Christ, mm-hmm. that he gets the honor to go and preach and proclaim to people this wonderful message that, that really captured Paul's uh, whole person, his whole being. Um, yeah, I think it's fascinating that, that the Lord chose a guy like Paul, the, the guy who would have opposed the, the Jews, or excuse me, opposed the Gentiles with, with uh, really being vociferous. Yeah, great bigger, yeah. yeah, and it's fascinating because in Acts, you see eventually he gets back to Jerusalem before he's the one who's going around and killing all the Jewish Christians, and that's what, his, that's what he's about. He's, <clears throat> he's going out to ca- ca- capture and arrest Christians, eliminate them. But then later on in Acts, he comes back to Jerusalem, and the Christians there are concerned that he's anti-Jewish now. <laughs> yeah. like he's telling us to abandon the traditions of our fathers. He's against Moses and all these things. And Paul said, no, 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 that's not what I'm about. But they interpreted his actions were so, were so um, contrary to the way that they thought uh, he should have acted or, or at least it provoked uh, rumors that he was uh, going more extreme than what he actually was. So, um, yeah, it's a fascinating thing. But Paul going to the Jews and to the Gentiles, the gospel to him was this unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Um, recently, just watching uh, yesterday, I remember uh, watching recently, um, yesterday we watched a video of a, of a family, they were like, they were Mormons, and they were really into it. His The mom in the family was a professor at BYU, kids were on mission, and it was during, while well, well, one of the sons was on mission uh, as Mormon uh, young men do. He was uh, trying to. He was talking to a Baptist minister, actually, and the Baptist. And he laid out the Mormon faith, and the Baptist minister said, "I'm sorry, but that's all wrong." But he was very gracious about it, and and challenged him to read the New Testament, and uh, and eventually the young man was convert <laughs> was converted and began converting other people, <laughs> and eventually it led to his mother's conversion. But one of the things I think that watching that. It's such a good reminder because I've always grown up in church hearing the gospel of grace. But then hearing him say, I was told that I need to make myself worthy for God. That's what my whole religion was about. And whenever he realized it's just all about Jesus and what he did for me, he found this young man found the riches of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what was coming to the Jews and to the Gentiles was this is riches, unsearchable, unfathomable riches of grace Mm -hmm. found in Jesus Christ. And just watching something like that was a good reminder to me of just how amazing this message really is. This is astounding stuff. And it should be the fire that keeps us going every day is, um, this is an amazing revelation that we are accounted righteous because of Christ alone. And, it's the message that deals with the sin of all of the the hearts of all men of all races of all cultural backgrounds. It really is amazing. And to Jews, I mean, most of all, like it's not only the Gentiles, but I mean to Jews, yeah. especially of like Paul, who would yeah. say that he was zealous for the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, of 
those who thought that the way to have the relationship with God and to be reconciled was to follow all the rules, Mm -hmm. was to do all the ceremonies, was to check all the boxes, Mm -hmm. but then to find out, I don't have to do any of that. That is not what reconciles me to God. Mm -hmm. What reconciles me to Him is grace Mm -hmm. through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, that's done it all for me on my behalf. And so, like, I would think even, like, that's what makes Paul so passionate about the gospel in -hmm. there is that here I was living my entire life trying to live up to what Mm -hmm. I thought I was supposed to live up to, Mm -hmm. but then to be confronted with the fact that that's not what this is about, you know? And uh, so, Mm -hmm. yeah, to people who are, I can see how it would be obviously like great to people who are, um, who are uneducated about Christianity, but even to those who have been brought up in Christian circles that are more about following rules or like Christian cults, like Mormonism Mm -hmm. or something like that, Mm -hmm. for those people to be exposed to the gospel of grace for the first time is an Mm eye-opening experience, Mm -hmm. I think. And And, and one of the beautiful phrases they used, I noticed he used it, and I I remember his mother used it, because she was concerned. She's like, I'm going to have to cut this kid out of my family because in Mormonism, right, you're saved as a family. There's a family unitness to eternality. And, but she talked about the phrase that's found, I think later on in Ephesians uh, five, that she was washed with the word and the word just slowly did its work. And that's what Paul was about in the minute. You probably talked about pastors. Well, Paul is using you and any of us who get behind the pulpit, not because we're special, but Jesus is washing the people with the word. Mm-hmm. He's washing his bride to change them and to change us. And that's what's actually happening, even though we may not see that with our eyes. That's what's happening yeah. through the word and mm-hmm. in our ears. So Yeah, and that's yeah. a good transition to, I mean, what was next? So he's using the apostles and the prophets who laid that foundation, but then Paul talks about the church in verse 10. And so kind of broke that up into two ways. One was um, we continue to teach God's word as Paul was doing there, and like we've been talking about, not of new revelation, but of the revelation that was given to them. And we teach this word, and so I put that on pastors, on those who are preaching, those who are put into the church for the purpose of preaching and teaching and focusing on that, so that pastor-elder role that you see in Scripture. And we can take some principles, I think, from Paul. Again, we don't have the role of Paul, we don't have that position of Paul, but we can take some things from Paul of what we should look for in preachers uh, who are going to do their job, pastors, elders who are going to do their jobs. And uh, so, again, I'll just go through the list real quick, and you guys can talk about it if you want. But the first one, being wowed by grace, you know, this thing of why would God use me? This is one of the problems I see with people that I've come across. I don't know if they would always call themselves apostles, but who said they've got this special revelation of God, this special task. It's almost always about them. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's this specialty that they can do, the special thing that they can do. You know, I'm going to make Jesus famous in this town. I'm going to do this. And you just don't see that in the life of Paul. It almost never requires them to suffer. Yeah. That was that was part of Paul's calling, wasn't it? Yeah. Was I will show him how much he yeah. will suffer for uh-huh. my name. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. yeah. You don't find many modern day uh-huh. apostles that are being like, I've been called to suffer. Right. You know? yeah. That's not no. what you see. And there were times in Paul's life when he had to be honest, like with with when he goes back to Jerusalem, he says, Listen, brothers, I'm trained better than all of you almost. Mm-hmm. Right? I have all of this stuff. But he doesn't ever stick that's not the feather in his mm-hmm. hat. It's always 
God's grace mm-hmm. that he is pointing to. And so Paul's constantly just wowed by God's grace. And I think that's important for people who are going to preach and teach God's word, that as they do that, they are wowed and amazed that they have the privilege to even be a part of that. It should hold a weight for sure. And I think it did with Paul. I mean, we see the weight on him all the time. Uh, but just being wild that God would be gracious enough and kind enough to let you be the one to stand and teach or preach. Mm-hmm. And Paul constantly shows that. Um, but then also understanding the message. You know, if we're called to teach and we're called to preach, then we need to understand it. Uh, as Spencer was talking about a minute ago, the unsearchable riches. <laughs> like, if you give me that task, Tim, this is what I want you to do this week. I want you to find the unsearchable treasure. I'd be like, wait a second. <laughs> It's unsearchable. How do I do this? It, it is a, it's a task. It's a big task. It is a work. And I know for me, as being the one who preaches, you know, almost every week, that weight is very heavy every week. Yeah. When I come to work on Monday, knowing the tasks that have to be done, really the weight that on, is on me isn't setting up for the cornhole tournament. It honestly isn't youth camp. It isn't these things that we're currently dealing with that people might say, man, that's a lot to do. That's not the weight that I feel at all. The weight that I feel is the sermon coming up and the sermon I know that I have to do when Mm -hmm. I get back from those Mm -hmm. different things because it's a big, to me, it's a very big, important task. And if I'm going to stand there and teach and preach, I want to do it Mm -hmm. well, Mm -hmm. right? I want to do it in a, in a good way. Am I alone in this? You guys feel this too? I mean, you teach weekly to the youth on, on Wednesdays. You teach every week uh, in Sunday school. I know that's not necessarily the same as preaching, but it still is very important. It's still teaching God's word uh, to the church and to people. Um, Do you guys feel that? Or am I... Weak. You're alone. Am I just I mean, weak? Am I no, just weak? <laughs> I feel weak at times. Like, like nobody yeah, else yeah. feels this. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't know how... I, I, I remember watching a, a show... One time about, um, it's actually about Charles Dickens, the guy that wrote, you know, all those famous novels. Mm-hmm. But one of the things you see him do is like, it's almost like the work never leaves his mind. Mm-hmm. Like as he's writing these things, like he's always having these, it's, it's really internal work happening as he's as he was writing this stuff. And like, it's, it's, that's for me, that's kind of how a, writing a sermon is, is and from from Monday till Sunday, till you get into the pulpit, you're wrestling internally with the text. You're thinking about it. You may go mow the grass, but it comes back. And like that's the kind of work I think that um, you know we don't see you. That's that's happening to you. That's happening to people. Like whenever you're preaching a text, it's you're studying it. You're trying to do the book work, but then also. You're mentally thinking, oh, what about that person in the pew? Or what does this mean? What, what in the world is Paul saying? Like, I, I, and you're like feeling like, I don't even know what this is actually saying. Like sometimes, a lot of times I feel that way. I'm like, what in the world is this actually saying? It just, mm-hmm. this makes no sense. I've put all this work on the, you know, I think that kind of stuff is what's happening though, is you're wrestling with the word and you're actually chewing on it. You're meditating upon it. And also God's changing you. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think that, um, what you go through every week on a week to week by week basis is not what most of us, we don't see that. Uh, most of the people in the pew don't see you going through that, but 
uh, to some extent, I'm sure that's going on inside of you yeah. as you're thinking about this and uh, there's a weight there. Mm-hmm. And then that's why uh, probably after you get done with the pulpit, there's this, you're, you really are exhausted at a certain level because you've, you've not <laughs> simply, everyone thinks that Tim's gotten up there and preached one sermon, but they don't realize that Tim's put in hours in the study, but also that text hasn't left him when he's left the study. Right. It's it's still been with you mm-hmm. the whole week, and so I just think that that's that's a, that's a wonderful thing about preaching, though. Mm-hmm. Is it's it's a it's a wonderful exhaustion, though. Yeah. At the end. Yeah. And that coupled with you know what I think is next is being able to bring that passage to light. Paul talks about that, bringing it, bringing to light the message of Christ to people. You know, Paul Paul was given this revelation that now he has to teach to people, and a lot for us when we read Paul, a lot of us it's very confusing. Uh, it's very hard to read and it was understand. confusing to Peter. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, he, was, said. he said it's hard to understand. <laughs> and the task that the that pastors elders have been given is to take this word and then to bring it to light so that people can understand it, so that people can know it. So then, right. so we so we sit on the backs, you know, as a pastor, I sit on the backs of the people who translated this into English, you know, who translated mm-hmm. this into different languages like that is a huge undertaking that I benefit from being able to read this. But then on top of that, you know, there's times where I do understand the passage. You've wrestled with it. You're like, I understand this, but now I got to put it on paper and it needs to make sense. There needs to be some sort of form. And Mm -hmm. if, when you go to school, you know, they kind of teach you, you should have three points, four points and they should flow, you know, and you're taught these different things. And, I've kind of gotten away from that personally just because that doesn't work for me all the time. You know, I don't know how to do that and make it make sense. I feel like it's being forced or whatever. But the job of the pastor, the job of the teacher, the elder there is to bring it to light so that people can understand. You can't just sit up there and speak over everybody's head and say if they were holy enough or elevated enough, they would get it. No, it's Mm -hmm. your job Mm -hmm. to teach. And so every sermon I wouldn't say every lesson because a lot of times we're teaching to adults or we're teaching to kids. But in the sermon, you are speaking to the eight-year-old that's sitting out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm also speaking to the 80-year-old who's sitting out there and everything in between. And so I'm trusting that God is going to use this message in all of their lives and in different ways. Mm -hmm. And you need to be able to bring that out. And that can be... That can be weighty too, but it's it is the job of the pastor to yeah. be able to do that. That's often what I find when I do preach or when I am doing a lesson uh, for the youth. That is the more weighty part. The preparing and the studying is the fun part, you know, for for pastors normally because that's what they like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but specifically, if it's one that I do a passage, I do feel like I've got a pretty good understanding of this. But when it's been the product of all that study and of all that meditation on God's word and thinking through understanding this, how does this apply first of all to me and having done that for an entire week or two weeks or however long you've been thinking about that, that, I mean, God's word has an effect on you, on your soul and on your mind. And a lot of times it is so sweet to be able to do that and to Mm -hmm. have that and you know, you feel like you're coming out. I mean, this is, you feel like you're coming out of the presence of God. Like, you know, I have do- dove so deep into this and it's been so great. And I feel completely unprepared 
mm-hmm. in 30 to 40 minutes to adequately explain what I've seen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah, almost right. like, mm-hmm. and, you know, no wonder John has to describe the revelation the way he does. You know, it's just because that's sometimes how I feel, you know, when you've seen something so great, the unsearchable riches yeah. of God's grace, mm-hmm. and I have 30 minutes to try to explain that to people. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's like, I, I, you know, you go up there and sometimes you feel like if they got that, it's because the Holy Spirit. But that's often how I feel is I, I struggle with coming up with words yeah. and ways of saying, this isn't just what this means and says, but this is what it means. Yes. Yeah. I will feel like says, that even more heavenly, heavily as we get to Psalms. Yeah. There's like, you get the psalm and it's like this praise psalm, you know, and you meditate on it and you start feeling that praise. But then when you go to teach it, you're like staring at everybody like, I don't, you're obviously not getting this because I mean, you, you're asleep. <clears throat> you're not paying any attention. Yeah. And I'm not bringing to yeah. light this yeah. message here, obviously. Because <laughs> as, the, as the pastor, as a preacher, you don't want them to just have the understanding. Right. No. You want the... You the want scripture to, to have the same effect on yeah. their heart yeah. and their, on their soul yeah. that it's had on you. And that's so hard to do. Well, Lloyd Jones called it logic on fire. Yeah. You know, and he's like, I'm, I'm logically mm-hmm. trying to explain something to you, but to put a fire mm-hmm. yeah. in you. Yes. Right. And, and so that's what you're looking for. And, you know, and, and I enjoy reading these people that I enjoy reading, like, like say a Spurgeon, I'll read him. But I can't copy him. And I think, man, if I would have been, I would have felt it if I was there because the way he talks about it is amazing. <laughs> it's like, I can't do that. You know, and you get, yeah, you get pressured. But anyways, all right, let's move on from the pastor part. <laughs> but also not the church isn't just pastors. It's transformed believers, lives of believers just being transformed and them being a part of the church, going and living their life faithfully to the Lord, applying the things that scripture teaches them and that God shows them. And God uses that then in their in the life of the church. It says in verse ten um, that God might know now be made known to the rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. And so there's this job of the local church, the local believer, to go and to do. And so I made that point in my message, and I I wasn't trying. I I regret a little bit saying it now, but I was how I said my job is to preach, and chances are I'm going to do that better than most everybody else sitting out there. I don't say that thinking I'm awesome. I say that thinking this is my task, Mm -hmm. but then they have their task. The the body has their task. Each of them individuals have their task, of which I have no doubt they can do better than me because that's their task as a part of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church to go and to Mm -hmm. go to your job and be in your family and be with your neighbors and care for members of the body Mm -hmm. and do that well you are going to do that better than i'm going to do that but as we as i do my role as the church body does their role we say to the rulers and authorities of this world here is god Mm -hmm. this is what he has done right this is his goodness this is his grace and so we want to be faithful to that and paul recognized that and so that's why paul was going around starting churches (laughs) right paul wasn't just going around he he did some training of pastors and Mm -hmm. stuff too we see that but he was starting churches. That's what he was doing. And he, because that's God's plan is the local church to go and to do these things. So real quickly, because this is, this video is going long based on our time there, the ramifications of this. Uh, first of all, in verse 11, Paul says it's been eternally decreed to happen. So it's, it's not going to be stopped. It's not something that can be stopped. And I think this is good in a lot of levels. I mentioned it more so in the sermon of, uh, 
we watch the news, you know, you watch these things, you can get down and think, oh my gosh, our faith is just going to disappear in America. You can think of it in that way. But another way that it's good news, at least for me, is those times when I fail, it doesn't mess everything up. And what I mean by that is like, I've heard people say, you know, my loved one passed away and they didn't know the Lord and it's my fault because I didn't share the gospel with them enough or I didn't show Jesus to them enough. And I think I don't, for me, this fact that Jesus, that it has, it has been eternally decreed takes that weight off of my shoulders. Again, I should be taking opportunities to share the gospel. It doesn't stop that, but it's not on me, right? And and it's not going to stop. It's not going to be, well, with Tim goes the Christian faith. No, um, that's not how it works. And so he's eternally decreed it. In verse 12, we're told we have access to the Father through Christ. And we're going to talk more about this in our next section uh, because prayer becomes gets talked about in verses 14 uh, through 19 there uh, pretty intensely. And so we'll talk about that this coming this coming Sunday, about what it means to have access to the Father. And again, I want to point out, this is only for believers, because this is ramifications of all this grace stuff. As the church, we have the privilege of going to the Father. Others don't. Mm-hmm. We do. Uh, verse 12 also says we have boldness in our faith in Him. We can be bold in sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel message, be bold in how God has changed our life and be bold in the fact that, yes, we follow this book. Yes, we believe in this suffering Messiah and we can have boldness because we know all of history hinges on him. I mean, he's it's because of him, the broken world, the alienated world is being brought back together. All hope is found in him. And so we can have boldness in that and be bold in, in telling people about that. Uh, and then verse 13 which I think is fitting even for today's church, Paul would say, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your which is your glory. If all this stuff is true, at least for Paul, if all this stuff is true, Paul's saying, me sitting in prison, it's worth it. It's okay. Don't lose heart over this. You know, Don't lose heart over the things that you're going to face, the, the troubles, the suffering, whatever it might be. Do not lose heart because we know all of this is true and it all has a point and it all has a purpose. And even you as an individual has a purpose in all of this. And so be faithful. Do not do not lose heart. That was good for me this week, I know, to see um, because it, I'm, I'm so fickle in my mind. It's easy for me to get down. It's easy for me to get frustrated with different things in this world. And it was good to like kind of hear my coach saying, you know, mm-hmm. Coach Paul, fuck up, man. You know, stop losing heart. We win this game. Mm-hmm. Like this game is is going. To, it's it's almost right. like, you know, ESPN Classic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Sorry. Do you know what that is? It's a tournament. No, it shows. <laughs> it, it's a channel that shows like old old games. Uh-huh. And I've actually watched like old games before, and you can find yourself getting caught up in it. And you're yeah. like, I know who wins. Like I already know the end right. of this. But I'm already I'm getting caught up in this. Right. That's kind of. How I think it is sometimes like kind of like when you're watching the two thousand the Super Bowl from two thousand whenever Kevin Dyson caught the pass from Steve McNair and yeah. was tackled by Mike Jones right the one there. yard line and yeah. the Rams win the Super Bowl yes any yeah. people rewatch those that. oh dude I had the ninety nine Ram season video <laughs> it was awesome. on VHS yeah it was VHS oh <laughs> awesome but you can still get caught up in it can't you oh that's wonderful and you almost get a little <laughs> nervous and you're like but I know what's happening come on like, I know. Yeah. tackle McNair tackle him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We get caught up that in our Christian life, and we know the end. We know the end game. Like, we know 
Jesus is victorious. We we know that our hope is cemented on the cornerstone, on Him. Um, and so, do not lose, do not lose heart. I think is a is a good thing for us. All right, anything else? Oh, no, nothing. All right, well, good. We got a lot of stuff to do. So this is one thing we've got done. <laughs> Glad we got done. Yep, check, check it off the box. Glad you watched the video. Look forward to seeing you Sunday. We got a lot of things going on in the life of the church on Sunday with a business meeting. We got a cornhole tournament. We got breakfast in the morning during the Sunday school hour uh, for everybody. So looking forward to all that. So hope oh, to see you Oh, and by there. the way, what? You, we also have a worship service yeah, yeah. on the Sunday. Worship we also have that. The yeah. normal worship yeah. service yeah. Yeah. at 1030. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. You are more holy, holy than all of us. You're I really know. That. I know. <laughs> all right. I Thanks. just assumed people were going. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us. God bless.